Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cave the Cross Apologetics. I'm Patrick. And I'm Tony. And uh, we're continuing our book, uh, Truth in a Culture of Doubt. And we're on uh, chapter four here where uh, our authors are discussing um, Bart Ehrman's claims uh, that he has pulled from kind of a historical um, uh, idea that uh, wasn't his own. He's kind of popularized it. Uh, mm -hmm. We'll talk about Walter Bauer as, as we go on. Yeah. Uh, this is kind of the Bauer hypothesis. But the claim is uh, that there were many Christianities. Many Christianities. From the formation of Christianity. Wow. And so uh, the, what we think of as Orthodox Christianity, which is just the, the standard, you know, the, the, what we think is like uh, Christ rose from the dead. He saves us from our sins. He was God. Those all kind of fought for supremacy within the scope of a mishmash of other ideas. Like right. Jesus had a body. He didn't have a body. Uh, he taught uh, salvation by different ways. You, you know, put, put whatever you want in there. Right. So this isn't the idea when we say many Christianities that there, you know, there are lots of Jesuses running around. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. These are, these are interpretations of who he was and what he said. Kind right. Of thing, right. And, and so it's kind of this idea that, um, and you see it with, with claims of the old Testament is, uh, the, the, the Israelites, the Jews, the, the God's people are kind of writing more about what they believe about God. Not so much that God inspired the words or that it's a direct revelation from God, but here's kind of their interpretation. And so who, who won? Well, history has decided kind of the victors through uh, kind of eight points that uh, that we're going to go over. Right. And so um, that's what our authors are, are going to do. And um, you'll hear probably a lot of times uh, us uh, saying, and Michael Kruger wrote a book about this because uh, Michael Kruger probably wrote a book about everything uh, w within the scope of this book uh, with uh, and some of them with uh, uh, Andreas Kostenberger too. Um, so uh, as we're getting into chapter four, were there many Christianities, what we're covering? And so there are eight claims that, uh, that we're going to cover here. So that's a lot. Right, right. Yeah. right. Um, luckily, some of them are, are pretty short. We can make mincemeat out of them, <laughs> a.k.a. Our, our authors can. We can repeat them back to you. Uh, so the first claim is that uh, the German scholar Walter Bauer, uh, his book, Heresy and Orthodoxy in Earliest Christianity, that's the name of the book, Heresy and Orthodoxy in Earliest Christianity, was the most important book on the history of early Christianity to appear in the 20th century. Big claim. Yeah. Most important book on Christianity. Right. That is a big claim. Right. On the history of Christianity. Right. Yeah. Uh, the argument made by Bauer is uh, incisive and authoritative, made by a master of all the surviving early Christian literature. Wow, okay, yeah. going back to the sources. Yeah. Adventists. <laughs> uh, writing from uh, equally early and legitimate heretical forms of Christianity do not currently exist because, why? Because they were destroyed by the proto-Orthodox in the first century. Okay. So we'll impact that a little bit uh, yeah. as, as we go through. Yeah. So the third claim is that early Christianity was widely divisive, uh, 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 I'm sorry, diverse, uh, it was also divisive, <laughs> with no group having a legitimate claim to the, quote, true form of Christianity. Mm. So they're all mm. kind of just out there fighting for supremacy <laughs> in some way. Fourth, you can never rely on the witnesses to write an unbiased account of the past. The New Testament is unified because the winning Orthodox party got to choose what was in its canon. So kind of the might makes right, history is written by the victors, et cetera, right. et cetera. Yeah. Fifth, the diversity of views within the New Testament indicates that Jesus was not originally considered to be God in any sense at all. He eventually became divine for his followers in some sense before he became to be thought of as 
uh, equal with God Almighty in an absolute sense. So, right, so Jesus became God. Yeah. Right? So th- this is this is as what was covered before. Of, yeah. Yeah. As a result of who won the argument. Right, right. Right. So so this is kind of the how Ehrman got to the conclusion that he wrote an entire book on that uh, other people responded. Uh, you can go back to some of our earlier ones and uh, links for that will be included below. Uh, so then uh, the sixth claim is that uh, second and third century Orthodox leaders, so the people that kind of won out, were innovators uh, rather than guardians of tradition. Mm. So they kind of created it. Right. They're creating what is now known as Orthodoxy. So they kind of coalesced all the things that they wanted to, to, to for Christianity to teach. They, right. With they, the stuff that they liked. Yeah. Right? There was they, a bunch of stuff out there. They yeah. grabbed, picked, and chose what they wanted. Right. And, and, and that became Christianity. Every, everything together so that... Uh, we fight about it today, and we can say that uh, the Bible is authoritative and uh, and d- doesn't contradict each other because they did such a good job, <laughs> and so we're 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 the apologists of them. Uh, seventh Orthodoxy, which was the product of a much later church councils, so now we're moving to church councils, okay. uh, did not exist in the first century. For example, none of the apostles claimed that Jesus was fully God and fully man. They didn't say those words that you can't find them saying that in the New Testament whatsoever. Or that he was begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father, as the 4th century Nicene Creed maintained. The victorious group called itself Orthodox. So the creeds, the councils, uh, the terminology, things like Trinity. You can't find Trinity in the Bible. Therefore, it's a a later manifestation of the the victors, the winners. They, They wanted to teach the Trinity for some reasons... Or at least you can't find the word Trinity in the Bible. That's, that's true. That's true. Uh, and eighth, and our final one, that the creation of the canon was one of the strategies used by the proto-Orthodox, before Orthodoxy existed, uh, to diminish the authority of other early Christian literature. So there are all these other um, hidden books of the Bible found. <laughs> and, you know, uh, we, we reach into the tome and pull out this thing called the Didache. And what does it say? Well, it kind of says exactly what... what What's in the yeah. in the Actually, testaments? The Didache of, was pretty good. <laughs> the Didache is really good. In fact, uh, I just had a discussion with somebody about that, and uh, one of the kind of um, uh, Lord's Prayer discussions of uh, you know, do you say at the end, "For thine is the kingdom, the power, and forever." The Didache actually it contains that, and mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it lends to this idea of well, maybe that was in the original. So really geeky <laughs> stuff that you can get into. Didache, fun yeah. read, short, short, good stuff. Yeah. And so that, those are the, the eight topics that we'll kind of be covering. We'll probably split on four and four, or depending See on how, how far how, we get. How far we get, as yeah, always. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Yeah, so he starts off this chapter by talking about the power of cherished beliefs. He says that uh, sometimes people want something to be true so badly that they believe in it, even though the facts point in an opposite direction, right? right? So they really want it, right? And so, uh, so they... Regardless of the facts, they, they really want it, so they believe it. Mm-hmm. He, he says, uh, they say at times Bart Ehrtman treats people who believe in the Bible as if they were small children who wanted to hold on to the magic of the stories they grew up hearing in Sunday school. Uh, believe even when the historical evidence doesn't back up their belief, right? So <clears throat> he suggests that um, those who have confidence in the Bible are simply sticking their heads in the sand (laughs) and are not really considering the evidence or at least not objectively considering the evidence. Right. Right. So, so we never made it out of Sunday school. We're we're all going Jesus for every answer. (laughs) That's right. Every answer is yeah yeah, the same. (laughs) 
so when it comes to the origins of historic Christianity, Ehrman believes that in the first century there was no such thing as Christianity in the singular sense. There's mm-hmm. no kind of overarching, there's our basic understanding, and uh, there are secondary tertiary disagreements, which lo and behold we kind of have today. Um, and so uh, it's, it's uh, improper for us to kind of argue for this uh, pie-in-the-sky type uh, uh, um, mono, you know, monolith of Christianity that we can point back to and say, ah, oh, we're divergent from it. So, right, right. so uh, you know, that it lends to all sorts of implications from from there if, if there are these different Christianities. Yeah, so no such thing as Christianity, uh, uh, you know, in the, in, the, um, in the singular sense. That's an amazing, right. amazing uh, claim. Yeah, right. right. And so we'll see if that uh, uh, holds to his historicity. Yeah. Uh, so uh, there's no such thing as this uh, Christianity as, as being coherent. It's a widely agreed upon set of beliefs, but only Christianities in the, in the plural sense. So all that existed were different versions of Christianity that claimed to be true with equal legitimacy. So it's not just one to say, oh, well, you know, it kind of started out in Jerusalem, but then Corinth kind of like spun it a, a, a little bit and, and kind of took uh, a collection of beliefs. And they say, well, if you kind of add... Um, you know, uh, Jesus is a, a good teacher, and uh, he uh, rose from the dead. But he wasn't—he wasn't killed by the Romans uh, because he didn't exist in bodily form. Right. Then that's our—that's the Corinth version of Jesus. It's or Corinth Christianity. He got married and had children, or so yeah. there. So when he, when he talks about Christianities, he's talking about various versions or interpretations or ideas of mm-hmm. what uh, Christianity was right. and who Jesus right. was. And right. he's saying that this was at the beginning, so it wasn't just a. Uh, a response to a heresy that came in or a later development. This was smack dab right, right at the beginning. Mm. And according to Ehrman, uh, who later became uh, what later became the traditional version of Christianity, now known as orthodoxy. So it's kind of the orthodoxy wasn't at the beginning. It, it fought and clamored and, and whatever existed, the dust settled. That's that became orthodoxy. So yeah, right. orthodoxy again is this um, Winner take uh, all. Yeah, yeah the, this, this understanding of, of, of the, 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 the basics of Christianity. Uh, it was uh, simply the particular form of the earliest Christianity that happened to win uh, the, po- the political power struggle in uh, the second through the fourth centuries of the Christian era. Yeah. And um, there is some truth to some of these claims and other ones. Uh, we'll, we'll figure out just how historic they are. Yeah. Right. So, you know, as we mentioned, Justice Erdman uh, has ridiculed evangelical Christians for covering their ears, right, or sticking their head in the sand to the evidence so they can continue holding to their own cherished beliefs. It's interesting, however, that Erdman's readers should consider the evidence in order to discern whether Erdman's narrative, uh, which happens to fit nicely with the cherished beliefs of many in our culture, right, uh, this uh, postmodern culture, is supported by the actual historical evidence available with regard to first century Christianity, right? right? So who really is sticking their head in the sand? Who yeah. really wants to believe based on their how their view of things, right? Right. And in and, and posting some of these videos uh, concerning Airmen, I've had, <clears throat> had responses from people that tell me to go back and read Bowers. Uh, you know, uh, heresy and, and Christianity. So it's like, ah, well, I know where you're coming from, and I know, you know, that you're probably uh, um, de- deriving that from Ehrman or his suggestion, but there's more to it than that, and we'll we'll uh, talk about further reading as well as uh, our discussion here. Hmm. So let's uh, let's deal with the first claim. So right. first claim is that the German scholar Walter Bowers, his book uh, Heresy and Orthodoxy in the Early Christianities, was the most important book on 
history of early Christianity to appear in the 20th century. The argument made by Bauer is incisive and authoritative, made by a master of all surviving early Christian literature. Wow. So, um, you know, kind of this Bauer history is the man. Of, of Bauer is, uh, you know, he, he kind of writes in this like 1930s era. Uh, unfortunately, something big happened in the 40s. I'm not quite sure of what it was that kind of held up translations from all different ones. And if you go back and listen to uh, my conversation with uh, Robert Murphy, we talk about how uh, Ludwig von Mises, who uh, is a, is a uh, won uh, the Nobel Prize uh, in economics, whatever that means for for economics or the Nobel Prize, um, it, it, he he too uh, was was held up because of uh, the inability for people to kind of gain uh, access to German thought Stuff, books because yeah, uh, yeah. you know the German, German <clears throat> schools were producing great great works and. And then Bowers. <laughs> so, so you can go back and, and listen to uh, our discussion there. All right. So what's Erdman's paradigm, right? How does he view things? So ideas obviously do not appear out of thin air. And in order to better understand Erdman, it's important to understand a little bit about the origins of his theory, a la, you know, Bauer. Bauer right? right. So Erdman's paradigm is built on the work of a scholar that we've talked about here, Walter Bauer, who wrote at the beginning of the 20th century. In 1934... Bauer, in a work entitled Heresy and Orthodoxy in Early Christianity, argued that the traditional form of Christianity, that is uh, orthodoxy, right. right, was actually nothing but the view imposed by one early Christian sect on the rest of Christendom. Right, So the orthodoxy that we hold today about who Jesus is and what he accomplished in his death, de uh, you know, his birth death and resurrection, that sort of thing. There was a sect that of, Chris, of the several Christianities that believed that, and that sect won out. It was the most powerful, and so that's why we believe that today. Yeah. But in the beginning, there were lots of Christianities. There were lots of views of, of Jesus, is what is what Bauer argued, right? Right. Right, and so they kind of cast their lots in, in this uh, historical lottery, and they were the ones that <laughs> happened to, to cash out in the end. Yeah. I don't know what they cashed out on because uh, it seems like persecution. And, yeah, really. And, yeah. And we want know, this. Yeah. Being kicked out of towns is <laughs> We want this like view, even though it means we're going to all die, right? right? right. <laughs> a terrible death, burning at the <laughs> Huzz stake. Huzzah. Every day. <laughs> uh, so uh, Bauer also asserted that the Roman church's control over certain regions at the end of the second century allowed Orthodox groups retrospectively to alter the history of the early church and destroy evidence from uh, early uh, uh, diversity in order to cement their own control over Christendom. And I don't, I, I don't know if, he's, if he is implying kind of like this Roman Catholic church or just the Church of Rome seemed to be the biggest and so exerted the, the most control over right. it. Uh, right. And unfortunately, and I, I hate to start disagreeing already, but uh, reading early letters of uh, um, uh, Irenaeus and uh, Clement, um, uh, Clement uh, is is talking to Corinth, and and he's um, extolling them, even though the Catholic Church claims that Clement is a bishop. He's extolling the Church of Corinth to to, to renew their um, their commitment to a plurality of elders. Not mm. I, Clement, Pope of Rome, have decreed this is how you should <laughs> order your government uh, or your your, your church, church government. Right, right. Uh, and so, and then uh, opposite of that is is uh, Irenaeus, where he's writing to the bishops of Rome. So early, you know, the first, first and, and the second, third century, uh, these letters come out and there's no monolith. There's no, there's no Pope. There's, you know, this, this idea of, you know, the Roman Catholic church version of history 
we don't we don't see it in history, and and we can go back to earlier church fathers who are making claims that you wouldn't make if you're Pope Pope Clement or or you know this monolithic version of Christianity that is uh, decrying uh, the, their edicts upon the the different churches and yeah. uh, dance for me or you know uh, uh, swear field to me swear fealty to me. It seems like they're going back to the Bible and saying, "Hey, Second uh, Peter established a plurality of elders." Uh, you know, you had to kick uh, a bunch of your elders out because of impropriety. You know, you can't just have it be out there. You have to elect new elders and vice versa. Talking to the bishops of Rome, so there's not a single bishop, a.k.a. the pope, that we would consider today. Um, and so that that whole thing. So, yeah, wow. so th- there's yeah. a lot of history involved in these claims that Bauer doesn't seem to kind of consider because, uh, and we'll see a little bit, kind of, moves the timeline a little bit to right. be able to talk about that. Right, right. Uh, so, uh, not to disagree with Bauer immediately, but I'm disagreeing with Bauer immediately. <laughs> so, however, the, the main lines of evidence used by Bauer in support of the thesis have been widely discredited. Right. Moreover, critics have rightly pointed out that despite the title of his work that suggests he will explore, notice, <clears throat> excuse me, earliest Christianities, right? So, we're, all right, we'll, we'll see what the earliest Christianities are about, because that's what right. his title talks about. Bauer has remarkably neglected the earliest available evidence we have. What is that? Well, it's the New Testament documents themselves, right? right. You know, he doesn't look at those. Yeah, right? you he can't just throw them out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Instead of studying these and other uh, first century documents, Bauer... His book is almost entirely devoted to second century and later works, which he then, you know, kind of reads back into the first century. Right. right. So the thing about this, if you have like uh, the um, a history of the Mayan and Aztec uh, religion of sacrificing children and, and you know, whatever they're whatever, you know, building pyramids. Just think about if you had a source that that was known to people, widely known to people, and it talked about uh, how these uh, how the sacrifices came to be or how. Uh, they viewed astronomy or, or how they viewed uh, this, this uh, c- coming snake creature that has white skin that, <laughs> you know, we should we should listen to. Just think about if you just completely ignored that, historians wouldn't do that. Right. But they right. do it for, at least Bauer does it here, for the New Testament. Yeah. It, it, draw from your sources. All of a sudden, these churches pop up and you're not like... Well, what's the source of that? Oh, well, we already know that. Right. right. No, go, let's start a hundred years into the deal. Let's let's, right? let's go. Let's let's you know, <laughs> or fifty or a hundred yeah. years later. Right? Year, year zero. Yeah, start 200. start at zero. So, <laughs> so it, it doesn't seem like Bauer is uh, is taking advantage of all of history here. So, um, assuming that I guess once a church forms and pops up in year one hundred, that that's when you start counting. I'm I'm not, I'm not sure where where. <laughs> why he wouldn't draw from the early sources uh, because Paul does, he, he establishes churches. So, right, early. so if you're looking yeah. for early Christianities, I'm establishing them. And then the, the, Three trips around, right? Around and the letters that resulted from them, right? right? That's, right. I mean, that's what very, you want to look at. Very important. Yeah. So uh, <clears throat> Ehrman has cut Bauer's conclusions, but the details of the argument uh, have changed. This raises the question: Why Bauer's thesis should be considered, as Ehrman put it, uh, in, incisive and authoritative? That's mm-hmm. what how Bert, uh, Bart Ehrman puts it. The examination of the arguments uh, below will make clear that though the Bauer-Ehrman proposal makes for an attractive narrative in the currents of our contemporary culture. Uh, aka popular anyone who adopts such an account must be firmly committed not to allow those pesky details to get in the way of a good story and so it seems like they're they're wanting their conclusion 
uh, uh, rather than um, doing good history here. Yeah, good. So that was the that was the first address, right? This how important uh, Bauer's book was, mm-hmm. right? And we see that there were some problems with that, right? right. Bauer didn't go back to the earliest sources, right? He kind of started, uh, you know, into the second century, and then kind of said, well, this was what was going on. Well, why don't you just look at the New Testament? That's the earliest, right? And see what right, was deal going with that on. first. Yeah. yeah, right. The second claim <clears throat> is that uh, writings from equally early and legitimate heretical forms of Christianity do not currently exist, notice, because they were destroyed by the proto-Orthodox in the first century. Right? Ah. So, so these early writings, these heretical writings, were destroyed by these folks uh, in the, who uh, won the day, right, in the, uh, in the second century. Yeah. Right? The, the, the hidden books of history, so That's hidden right. that right. they remain hidden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> how, how do we know this? How do we know they were destroyed? Uh, well, that's the problem. And the problem with the claim is that it's their arguments from silence. Ah, okay. There's no evidence to support it. So, yeah. uh, so all, all these other writings, they, all, every single one of them was was uh, uh, rounded up. They were burnt. They were destroyed. They were hidden away in a deep, dark cave. Right. And we just haven't found them yet. Right. Or they did such a good job that even though we have over 5,000 manuscripts of the early Gospels and the letters from Paul and other letters from church leaders— Th- those were preserved, but not these pesky secondary That's or, or right. the losers. The losers. The, the losers, yeah. yeah. The losers yeah. got lost. Right. 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 <laughs> yeah. This American Christianity, we're all about winners. Uh, so th- they, they, they exist somewhere out in the ether of, of at this point, you, you, you would have to kind of make inferences, uh, to, to, to put it, so that you're not just calling uh, Bauer kind of, of a fantasy, mm. you know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem like there's anything to kind of sink your teeth into in right. this claim of yeah. they were just all destroyed. Well, yeah. okay, um, so, I, I've I have proof that uh, yeah. God exists a hundred percent. Anyone that looks at this piece of paper will instantly believe I left it in my car, yeah. uh, and, and the car's on fire. That's right. uh, well, so it, it was, was destroyed. There. Yeah. It was there. It was but, there. Yeah, but okay. So if anything, the evidence, as you will see uh, in our next claim, uh, suggests that the uh, heretical groups producing texts in the second and third century were either not widespread in the first century or, in some cases, had not even come into existence. So uh, this one is kind of um, shoots itself in the foot because you're asking for historical evidence and you say, well, it, it must be there. And it yeah. seems it like was there, but it's gone. Now. It seems like yeah. the, the theory is informing yeah. what what evidence you're bringing in, right. which uh, we talk about presuppositions and the importance of them. So, here it's, uh, we're I think uh, we're we're savvy on that. That's right. So uh, his his third claim in this particular chapter is that uh, early Christianity was widely diverse, with no group having a legitimate claim to the true right quote form of Christianity. It was just a wild west where all kinds of things were being talked about, all kinds of things were believed. And so no group really had a legitimate claim on what the true form of Christianity right. was. Right? So, so we, we, we're not going back to the New Testament. So that's wrong for some reason. And uh, the thing that would help us to determine whether this claim is accurate, th- those, those sources that we can say, and, and point to and, and say, this was an alternate claim that just didn't win the day. Those, those don't seem to exist anymore or yeah. have been preserved in any form of fashion. 
Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I'd, I'd love to see the evidence. Let's let's see. We're, mm-hmm. we're all evidentialists here, right? Uh, so the existence of divergent second century groups proves that diversity existed in subsequent centuries, but is not directly relevant since this is not evidence from the days when the church first came into being, a.k.a. The first century. That's right. So even though there may have been divert, and there was, by the way, <clears throat> diversities in beliefs in the second centuries, we have the Gnostics, which we'll talk about here in a bit, and all these types of groups uh, that sprang up. Notice that doesn't prove that that was going on in the first century. Right. 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 And so uh, Michael J. Kruger, as I said, we would say, uh, Christianity at the Crossroads, uh, his uh, latest book, uh, that talks about how the second century shaped the future of the church. That's the, the subtitle there. And so uh, what, what he uh, makes um, the claims of is that the, the church arose in the first century, uh, is, is starting to get settled in the second century. And uh oh, here comes evil Gnostics and all sorts of other groups that uh, the apostles, uh, especially in, in First John, seems to be writing kind of a, a proto-gnostic uh, um, uh, um, uh, pretext. Yeah. So he's, you know, First John's talking about the the physicality of Christ. Jesus came in bodily form. Well, well John, why why are you talking about yeah, that? Yeah. It seems to be a, um, a, a starting to to um, kind of defend against some of these gnostic right, beliefs. Which yeah. one of the the beliefs of the gnostics was that Jesus kind of came in kind of this ethereal form. He's not physical. Um, a lot of the the Greek uh, informs that belief because the Greeks, um, especially you see it in. Uh, Paul in, in, in Mars, Mars Hill, um, he doesn't, um, he, he, he kind of gets jeered at when he talks about the resurrection yeah. of, of the dead and, and being brought back to life. And for the, the, the Greeks, that was, that was you know, the, the, the physicality is the evil stuff. That's right. There. right. Spirit is more. So Michael real. J. Kruger is, yeah. uh, and we'll include a link to all these books below as well. Uh, so thus, one of the problems with the Barman, uh, Bauer-Ehrman hypothesis is that uh, it illegitimately presents evidence from the second and subsequent centuries as relevant to discussion of the origins of Christianity while minimizing the first century evidence. So right, again, so we, again we've, we've already dealt with this, right? Right. So let's look, at the, let's look at the evidence, okay? There's a diversity of Christianities. How do we know? Well, in the second century, well, wait a minute. Yeah, is is that where the church started? No, it's, it started in the first century. And the, I mean, this is all agreed upon history of the the Gnostics came in. This is where, if if you're again, <laughs> I hate to pick on old History Channel, but this is the hidden books of the Bible, and the, this is a Gnostic tome, and this is you know d- description from uh, a, a hidden Christianity. Well, no, the the fact that we have these uh, these these volumes, I think. Uh, is interesting because a lot of it is preserved in the speaking against mm. <laughs> Gnosticism and, and, and the like. So, yeah. so um, it, we're, we're not, we're not, we're starting at the cart, not the, not the horse, or we're starting <laughs> at, uh, you know, the, the, the church, not the donkey. <laughs> or something like or something that. Like yeah. that. So when Erdman begins listing heresies of the second and third centuries, you know, it might feel like a powerful argument. Look at all these heresies, right? right? Look at all these Christians that are popping yeah. up. They're yeah. all using the name of Jesus. Yeah. They're all, they're all doing it for a, a personal thing. Uh, all, all these groups arise. Uh, the leaders tell them, you know, uh, uh, the, the physical is is not worth it. Castrate yourselves, and lo and behold, once you do that, you kind of die out because you're not reproducing, <laughs> and also uh, you're asking people to do something that um, seems seems a bit harsh. But you know, some people did it. And, yeah, yeah. And yeah they preserve yeah. for one, maybe two generations, depending on who they can convince. But I mean, that's a hard sell. Right, right. So the you know he lists all these second and third centuries uh, heresies. 
In reality, even though this seems like a powerful argument, it serves only to divert attention from the central question, which is what is the state of the Christianity? Uh, what was it in the first century? Right. That's when the question. Started, right. Yeah, that's the. What question. was it like at the very beginning? Did, what did it have? Uh, uh, Jesus is God, and Jesus is only a man. And uh, Jesus went to the east and, and brought Buddhist teaching, or uh, you know, here's here's a, a vision of Jesus only. Uh, or, uh, you know, was it, uh, uh, um, uh, Judas, uh, uh, not Judas, uh, the, the Muslims think that, uh, S- Simon, I believe, uh, takes, takes the place of Jesus on the cross and Jesus walks away oh, scot-free. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, w- which, which one is it that, that this is? Well, unfortunately those might be important discussions talking about different beliefs of second, third century when these groups started to intermingle and rise up. First century is where the church started. Yeah, yeah. And even Ehrman admits this stuff. Right. So the real question is whether diversity evident in the subsequent centuries actually preceded the unity which is found at Christianity's origin, right? So, again, the question is, well, there was all of these diverse views and the, the strongest, whatever, most powerful position people won. Well, and so this is important. Why? Well, because we want to know what Christianity really was. Well, the way to do that is to go back to the beginnings, the first century writings, and see what it was. Well, Erdman is suggesting, well, there wasn't a beginning, per se, of a certain kind of Christianities. There were lots of these Christianities. And so, the you know, the winners came up with the one that they believed. Yeah. And it would be interesting, and, and uh, uh, Christian pastors and scholars, they, they all kind of survey uh, the, the New Testament writings and say, Oh, look at the Church of Corinth. What what does it teach us about the differences between how they worship versus how the the Jewish Church worship or the the Jerusalem the Church in Jerusalem worship? Mm-hmm. Or what what does the, the letter to Paul to the Romans say about uh, a, a people group that he's been wanting to visit for since the beginning because he's a Roman? How, how does his um, how does his letter writing uh, compare to something like the Ephesians or the Galatians? Right. Well, th- those are important things, and and we see diversity of different types of thought, but do we see diversity of orthodox, uh, you know, if, if you can call yourself a Christian, this is this what you hold to. Basic beliefs of the Christians. Do, do, so we the, see, right. the, the, do we see differences within that scope? Right. So the question is, do we have the real Christianity? Right. Or is it something that was, that won out over a right. fight over many Christianities? Well, the way to determine that, at least one of the ways to determine that, is look at the first century documents, the New Testament, and that sort of thing, to see what the real Christianity was all about. Right. Erdman is claiming, well, we we can't, we don't have the real Christianity. We only have a Christianity that won out because of powerful f- folks in later centuries said this is the one we want. Right. 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 And and Bauer seems to suggest that it's a, a Roman type thing. It's not. It's not Paul. It's not. It's not uh, Peter. It's not uh, James. It's the, the, the might of Rome. Okay. Uh, so even if, let's say for the sake of argument, the evidence for the second and third century were to show that heretical groups were widespread and stable, you know, ar- argumentative, this would in no way prove that they were equally widespread and stable in the first century. Right. Okay. Which you have a hard time again because uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a group that's uh, attempting to invade uh, um, uh, 
in, into the early church, and that's why a lot of times the the apostles and 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 the early church, uh, Christian writers were of of the New Testament were saying, "Be on guard, wolves in sheep's clothing." I mean, yeah, this is yeah. this is a, a, a you know if you if you've been to church services, you've you've heard these sermons before because it's still prevalent. It's it's something that they had to deal with. Uh, you know, once the all the apostles were gone, and probably even more so uh, uh, within their, their midst, but definitely when they were going away, and you had other people enticing them away for different reasons and, and whatnot, and even today. So, in fact, the evidence for the second and third century points in the same direction as that of uh, from the first century. In both cases, orthodoxy was more established and stable, while heresy was less widespread and unified than uh, Ehrman uh, implies, mm-hmm. and, and Bauer on top of that. So we, so we see that actually uh, uh, being less of the case. All right. So, as we mentioned of the various uh, second century heretical groups, Gnosticism clearly posed the, uh, the greatest threat to Christianity. The hidden knowledge. Right. And so yeah, these teachers rise up <coughs> and they me. say, uh, the, 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 you have these teachers rise up and they say, uh, I, have, I have the hidden knowledge that will get you to eternal life. That, and you mix in a little Greek, which was uh, you know, well-known in Greek of, of, of philosophy, and then you, you mix in this, this new and, and kind of uh, up-and-coming, up uh, popularizing among not, not just the rich, but the poor, not just the men, but the women, not just <laughs> the, the, the pious, but the, the former prostitutes. It's getting popular, and now, oh, well, how, how can I take advantage of this? So yeah, it seems yeah. to me that's, that's so what, the case. So what they'll do real briefly in, this, in the rest of this chapter is instead of reviewing all the various groups, right, that, that sprung up in the second century and, and for later, um, they'll focus their survey on um, what can be known about Gnosticism in comparison to orthodoxy, right? Right. All right, so to begin with, then Gnosticism is actually a label for, notice, various diverse religious ideas, they tell us, right? So it wasn't one basic idea of what Gnostics believed, right? right? There were lots of beliefs. Actually, there were many Gnostics, Gnosticisms, right? right? Not Christianities, but Gnosticisms, right? right? Even the the biggest Gnostic uh, uh, person uh, that's kind of, most popularized it, even their group wasn't that well known. Yeah. So, so, uh, and, and, and they point out that the, the ideas, uh, really never developed into a single organized movement, right? right? Because the various Gnostic groups only shared a few key similarities, right? Also, if you keep things secret, things stay secret. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, oh, our owner, our our founder died because, uh, you know, uh, syphilis or bad water or uh, a donkey kicked him in the shin and we don't have the ability to save him. Well, we're done. Yeah, that's right. right. (laughs) He held the keys. Mm -hmm. So most likely uh, because Gnostics could not agree among themselves, they never formed a church or groups of churches. Uh, They formed in small communities. And we, again, we see them come into churches and try and take over and, and kind of, uh, um, uh, socialistically <laughs> tread on the, the capital of, of the, yeah, the, the, yeah. the profits. So there yeah, we go. I, yeah, I, they, I factored in a, a claim from economics there for, for everyone. <laughs> so this lack of organization unity within Gnosticism stands in stark contrast with orthodoxy. Mm. And we, we see that growing quickly. We see it growing uh, diverse as among, again, people, types of people, groups of people, um, you know, uh, Paul and, um, uh, his companions, uh, John Mark and, and uh, uh, the like, Luke. Uh, yeah. Yep, uh, they you know they they go on three missionary journeys and make their rounds. That it started out in the uh, church in Jerusalem, 
But if we don't ever look at the New Testament documents, we can't ever start at the beginning. Right. We're, we're, starting, we're starting too late. So the emphasis on the rule of faith, the early agreed upon set of core Christian beliefs, that's what we kind of call it. The, you know, if, if you say kind of uh, uh, your, your creeds within church, uh, this is kind of the, the, what you can do in the scope of uh, a few breaths. And so <laughs> th- this is what the, 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 the rule of faith is, is the, the early agreed upon set of core beliefs. So the emphasis on this demonstrates an early unity in Orthodox writings. And mm. we see that, um, with, especially, you know, you have, you have, uh, Paul going out and people are saying, oh, this guy's really hard to understand. Uh, you know, are we sure that he's, he's speaking true scripture and go to Peter and Peter goes, I know it's sometimes hard to hear, but that's what the gospel is. It's, yeah. it's sometimes hard to hear. And what, yeah. what, what Paul is talking about is scripture. And so yeah. Paul, uh, 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 Peter backs up Paul's um, uh, uh, apostleship right. that, that right. Jesus established. Right. So not only was there a lack of organization in Gnosticism and not only was there much uh, greater organization in early Orthodox right. Christianity, and they held to what our authors are calling the rule of faith, which they'll get into a little more uh, later. But also, early Orthodoxy had no official authority to suppress what they perceived right. to be heretical teachings, right? Right. Who, right? Who, who was the authority, or what was the authority? I mean, you had a bunch of little churches all over, or house churches, or people dying, or running, or whatever, mm-hmm. right? And so there was no real authority. It wasn't until uh, AD um, 313, right. when Emperor Constantine's Edict of Milan mandated religious toleration, Right, that the Christians acquired official means to take action against heretical groups. Right, so that was you know quite a few years uh, later. Right, by this time there was no mention of Gnostics. By the way, right, so this suggests that Gnosticism was definitely refuted before Orthodoxy had any official power to do so. Right. Right, and we have a lot of early church fathers writing things uh, and against different types of heresies, and we see that throughout Christianity for the next 2,000 years, uh, minus the first 100, you, you have uh, 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 responses and people coming in and trying to add to the gospel, take away from the gospel. Uh, you have Athanasius coming in, standing up and uh, preserving uh, you know, an idea of, of, of um, the Trinity as, as biblical. All, all these things uh, come much later than the first century. Mm. So the implication then uh, for this uh, evidence concerning Gnosticism is that if the Gnostic movement was the biggest threat to Orthodoxy in the second century, the sects that posed considerably less of a threat can likewise not be considered as early or well-developed as Orthodoxy, right? So they just didn't have enough oomph uh, at, at that point than the biggest ones, okay? So also it is patently absurd to believe that the broad Orthodox unity and organization of the second century appeared almost out of nowhere, that it just arises. Right. Again, when, when you cut off the first century. Proof is there. Well, I mean, yeah, well, I'm a church. Well, yeah. okay, <laughs> I, I guess we'll go with that. Not, not, no questions of like, what do you mean a church? What does that mean? A communion, uh, you're eating people? Uh, you call each other brothers and sisters. These were claims that outsiders infiltrated the church and went, oh, they marry their brothers and sisters, they're, they're cannibals, yeah. and they're atheists because they <clears throat> deny other gods. So, you know, again, even the Romans didn't like atheists. <laughs> 
so the, the, it appears uh, kind of almost out of nowhere. The most reasonable appraisal of the evidence is that doctrinal unity had early origins, right. a.k.a. or i.e. Uh, Jesus and the apostles were right. the, the source of that. Right. So by contrast, it appears the heretical movements were less organized and widespread in the second century because they were uh, parasitic of orthodoxy. Again, right. they leached off what was already there, uh, uh, a la uh, socialism. <laughs> <laughs> These heresies were later uh, deviations from orthodoxy rather than equally legitimate claims to the teachings of Jesus and the apostles. And we see that. We, we see we see Paul, we see Peter, we see James uh, pointing back to Jesus, pointing back to um, his teachings. We see that with uh, the the, um, the early church fathers. Um, you know, you can, you can uh, form... All the words of the Old Testament or of, of the New Testament, just by quoting early church fathers, you don't. You, you, and the fact that any any of that arose, uh, stuck, uh, uh, was continued, was published, was so wide known that we can collect those things. We can talk about post Nicaea, anti Nicaea, all these things uh, uh, point to the fact that orthodoxy was established early. And people were pointing back and wanting to go back to the sources. And in fact, once you get to the Reformation, the Advantes, the back to the sources, that was, you know, it was a, 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 a contention to even claim that uh, that it never disappeared, that there was always this remnant and the, the, the Roman church had so um, uh, diluted the message of the gospel that they were um, out of sync and they were wanting to go back to what the early church fathers was, That's which right. was to, to, to reference the, the, the uh, New Testament of the, the teachings, the authoritative teachings of Jesus and the apostles. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so uh, if, if, um, if you want more reading to this, uh, again, we briefly covered four of these. We'll briefly cover four more. Um, Andres Kostenberger and Michael Kruger. Three. We covered three. Ooh, covered three? Oh, yeah. man, we only covered three. Yeah. Okay, well. Unfortunately, we only covered three, and yeah. it's not been 40 minutes. So yeah. well, we've only covered three because we like to talk. Uh, so uh, more of the information can be found in uh, Michael J. Kruger and Andreas Kostenberger's The Heresy of Orthodoxy, which is their um, their response to the uh, Bauer-Ehrman uh, hypothesis. And so, um, again, Michael J. Kruger has written pretty much a lot on this, as well as Kostenberger has written a lot on everything else. Uh, so uh, th- those are always good books to, to pick up. And so uh, we'll end it here. We got through three, and uh, we'll try and finish the rest next time. So thanks for joining us, and uh, yeah, thanks. We'll see you next time.